As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea Football Club from The Athletic. On this episode, Blues back to winning ways as Ziyech Zinger lights up the bridge. There's disappointment for the women's team on their return to league action and we talk through the latest Chelsea transfer chat. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight out of Cobham. Another day, another win against Spurs, eh? If only Chelsea could play them every week. I hope you're a good listener. It's me, Matt Davis-Adams, here with two of my podcasting pals who know all there is to know about Chelsea FC. Simon Johnson's with us. Hello. And Liam Toomey's here too. Hello. No no sort of opening gambit from me this week. I just, I just need a bit of time off. <laughs> yeah. The level of Tottenham is not very high, was what I thought you were going to say. But there'll be plenty of time throughout the season to, to break that one out again, I'm sure. Uh, Sunday then was fun day for Chelsea as their favourite opponents came to town. We'll look back on the latest taming of Tottenham next. Chelsea moving forward and they get it to Ziyech. He's going to cut back onto that left foot. Sure as eggs is eggs! What a goal! Chelsea 2, Tottenham Hotspur nil. then. The Blues and Spurs January trilogy concluding with an ending so formulaic it could have been scripted by the laziest Hollywood hack. Chelsea beat Spurs, same as it ever was. The sort of serene victory that made Tuesday in Brighton all the more baffling. Uh, Simon, you and I were there. We'll, we'll get to the specifics of the game soon enough, but just basically, this was a, a win of colossal proportions, basically. The, the narrative had all been about how Spurs were about to catch Chelsea before the game. Now they look a long way away. Yeah, normal service resumes as well, um, in the sense of um, 
It was like the two teams had had a personality transplant since the League Cup semi-final, with, with Chelsea looking laboured and, and out of ideas against Brighton in particular, and of course Man City, um, and Spurs looking, sort of having that momentum, what we thought perhaps building win, late win against Leicester. So you thought, oh, perhaps Spurs are going to show something different in this game. They're, they're really going to come out and give Chelsea a tough game and far from it. It also shows what a couple of days off the difference it makes. I was quite surprised by seemingly having watched it back in a few places, um, like Match of the Day, Sky, etc. Even sort of hearing sort of the radio as I was walking back. It's kind of negative, a bit sort of negative about how the game was. And I thought that that didn't show Chelsea enough respect. I thought they played really well. Um, played sort of really sort of sharp, intense, quick, lots of incisive passing. Um, I thought I thought it was a, I thought it was quite a good game, particularly first half as well when Tottenham did show a bit of a threat on the counter. But um, yeah, to answer finally answer your question, Matt. Yeah, massive three points going into the winter break. It totally changes the whole complexion of the league table, even though teams below them still have games in hand. But I thought it just sort of emphasised the gap in quality between the top three and the rest. Just two changes, Liam, to the the team that started against Brighton, but, but a fairly kind of fluid and funky formation, which Spurs struggled to get a grip on, I felt, in the first half. Certainly I did, looking at it, trying to work out what was actually going on, who was playing where. Yeah, I think for the second time in in three meetings this month, Tuchel caught Conte out with the way that Chelsea actually lined up. Because even if you looked at the the team sheet, you might have assumed that it was going to be that four two Desmond formation again. Um, but Mason, <laughs> but Mason Mount's versatility um, gives Chelsea a bit more a bit more flexibility, I think, in terms of the way it actually lines up on the pitch. And, you know, I think he's always seen his best position as as a roving number eight. Um, and there was quite a nice balance to that midfield, wasn't there? And, and as soon as you're talking about 4-3-3, I know Tuchel referenced this afterwards, you are putting Hakeem Ziyech in the position that he flourished in for Ajax in the, you know, on the right of, of that front three. It's the position he's most comfortable um, he can get into those kind of deep crossing positions. It's kind of a triple threat position where he can he can find incisive passes inside. He can whip in swinging balls in, and he can take shots, um, which he loves to do. And uh, and every now and then he catches one as as purely as he did for for the opening goal. And I, you know, I thought Chelsea did play well. They controlled the game in the system. They didn't create a ton of really clear openings. I mean, apart from the the crosses that, that Lukaku seemed determined not to connect with. Um, you know, they weren't exactly carving Tottenham open and it took a moment of brilliance to unlock things. And that's what Ziyech can do. He hasn't done it often enough for Chelsea, but we do know he has he has that quality and he produced it at a, a crucial moment. Yeah, we'll talk about the goal uh, more shortly. But uh, as Simon said, Chelsea played well in the first half. Could have had a couple of goals. Lukaku left his shooting boots at home or, or maybe in, in Milan. And then there were two big refereeing decisions, which we, we ought to mention. The Harry Kane goal. Let's start with that. 
Simon, uh, division up in the Chelsea TV commentary box as to whether it should have been disallowed or not. I, I thought it should. I thought it was a pretty clear push, but uh, plenty of plenty of colleagues saying that actually Chelsea got really lucky with that one. What did you think? I think they got lucky with the fact that Kane did the push in the first place because he didn't need to. Um, he did push him. Was it enough to send Silver to the floor? I don't think so. But a bit like a striker when he feels contact to ensure that he gets the decision in the area, he goes down. And I think that's what Silva did. But but put it this way, if the roles were reversed, and this is what I tweeted last night, if the roles were reversed and it was Thiago Silva with his hand on the back of Kane and Kane took a tumble, Spurs would be asking for a penalty. So I, I, I don't really get the level of upset. Was it a little bit soft, maybe, but a push is a push um, and Kane didn't need to do it. I wouldn't say Spurs would be wrong to sort of ha- hang their hats on that one decision as the reason the game went against them. They weren't good enough. Plus, they had a couple of decisions go their way as well, which has been conveniently forgotten, in my opinion. Yeah, that Matt Doherty challenge in the first half, Liam, I thought that was absolutely disgraceful. You can you can maybe understand the ref missing it in real time, even though he was about five yards away. But to, for VAR not uh, to have looked at it and then not decided it was worthy of action, it actually ended up in a Spurs throw, I thought was bizarre. Yeah, I, I wasn't in the camp that it was a red card. Um, I thought it was one of those that looked an awful lot worse in slow motion. And I think when referees are judging things on replay, I think they, all right, you can maybe show them once on, on in slow motion to, just to show them the detail of what happened, but then they have to actually judge the incident in real time because it's not, I think sometimes you watch these things super slow-mo and it ascribes a level of intent that isn't necessarily there at full speed. Um, but he, you know, he does, he does tread on his ankle. Um, I thought it was a yellow. I thought it was a free kick. There were a couple of things like that in the game that weren't given or or didn't quite go Chelsea's way in the end didn't particularly matter. You're going to get those in in almost every game, but it's, yeah, it's something we always end up talking about afterwards, isn't it? Yep, but we'll talk about Hakim Ziyech's goal now because that's more interesting. We'll say what we thought of it, but first let's hear what the man himself made of it. Uh, How good it was, huh? (laughs) Yeah, I think it was... uh... 10 out of 10, I think. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's a wonderful goal, Simon. Also, you kind of alluded to it earlier, but it, but it was one of, if not his best performance for Chelsea, wasn't it? Because he has a lot of 45-minute performances and some 60-minute performances, but it's not often he's managed to do it for the full 90. And some five-minute performances. <laughs> <laughs> or even 90-second performances. Um, do you know what impressed me and, and what I thought was almost more encouraging than anything. It sounds incredibly, I don't know, Alan Hansen, uh, <laughs> um, for you older listeners, was the tracking back and the defensive side of it. I know I know, you can talk about <laughs> the, you know, and obviously the goal was amazing. And But what we haven't seen from Ziyech pretty much since day one is the work ethic, the sort of, willing to get stuck in and help his teammates out. And it's almost like, oh, has the penny dropped a little bit? You know, has because has, I'm sure this is something that has put Tuchel off from, from playing anymore. It's just that 
defensively it's like playing with ten men when he when he selected. And yet I think he I think the stats show flashed up afterwards and you could tell even with your naked eye he was doing a lot of work. Like he was top of the team in terms of jewels and uh, clearances and stuff like that, which is so, which is something you don't associate him with. But sorry, uh, that that that's my sort of more boring side of of uh, Ziyech's performance out of the way. That goal, I feel really blessed um, to have been at both games where we've had a goal of this year contender, and yeah, again a beautiful view of it. It started with. Callum Hudson-Odoi, by the way, who it was like a turning point in his game. It was, I clocked it when I watched it back last night. It was in the 37th minute, he took on Tanganga for the first time, got him booked, and Tuchel, as Tanganga was sort of on the floor getting booked, whatever, went over to him and he was clearly going, yes, more of that, that's what I want. And suddenly it was like, yeah, right, he certainly was the player that he should be, which is taking people on. And, and his run, of course, uh, against Tanganga just after the restart was what, what sort of set it all off. Brilliantly broke away on the left. Showed great pace to get away from Tanganga. Of course, was worried about the red card. Fine ball out at Ziyech. Lovely overlapping run by Azpilicueta to pull the Tottenham defence across to give Ziyech some space. But my word, what a fantastic finish. Um... It was just perfect. Top bins, you couldn't have placed it any better. And, and then the, the magnificent super slow-mo of Lloris, you know, the goalkeeper. It's always a great goal when a goalkeeper just sort of sort of does that anguished, you know, look as it goes into the net, knowing he hasn't got a chance. So, yeah, brilliant. I'm not going to let you get away with starting your answer like that, Simon. It's like going and looking at the Mona Lisa and saying, you know what I, don't I really like? To be predictable. like? Look how, you know what I really like? Look how solid that frame is. That frame's going nowhere, isn't it? Look at the workmanship. Um, Actually, that's a really good point. It was it was a work of art, and as um, as a sort of left footed um, luxury five a side player. Um, that is the goal that I I dream of scoring, um, but never do. Uh, just you know, it's it's the coolest goal to to score. I think as as like a as like a left footed, creative player just hitting the ball in a perfect arc from a ridiculous distance, and everyone just stops and watches. And it's clear pretty much from the moment it leaves your foot that it's going into the top corner, and it's going just slow enough for everyone to fully appreciate it before it hits the net. I thought, yeah, it was perfect goal. Um, it's certainly, uh, it's the best goals he has scored for Chelsea by by distance, I think. He scored goals like that for Ajax as well. And it's just nice to see him producing that quality in England. Yeah, aesthetically beautiful. Um, and a good job that the net was up to it as well after that that botch-up repair job that they did at half-time on, on that particular goal. Then Thiago Silva tested it again by making it 2-0. Uh, we've spoken a lot about Silva lately. He's great. Really, really great. What about Malang Sar though, Liam? 23rd birthday yesterday. He started the season as a punchline and, and he's not anymore, is he? He's actually become a useful squad member. Yeah, he's improved. I think he's he, he seems to have benefited from from training with this squad day in and day out, working with Tuchel. 
Um, it's clear that Tuchel has done a lot of tactical work with him, particularly to prepare him for this left-back role in a back four, because it's not something we've seen him do before. I, I'm not sure, I, I'm not familiar enough really with his time at Nice to know if he played that role on a regular basis or not. Um, the one drawback of him in that position is you don't fear him as a crosser at all. And we saw that a little bit in the in the cup tie, both cup games against against Spurs, where they kind of allowed him to overlap when he wanted um, but the important thing for Chelsea is that defensively he's very solid. When he first came into the team, you were guaranteed one or two really bad defensive lapses in concentration per game. That seems to have, have gone down a little bit. I know Spurs maybe didn't ask as many questions as some of the teams that Chelsea have played, but I, I do get the, the sense that he's he's upped his level. Playing with so much experience next to him, I think, has helped as well. And for a player who, you know, everyone, I think including him, expected to go on loan going into this season, uh, he's he's maybe put himself in a position where he could have more of a long-term future at Chelsea. Well, he certainly put himself in a position where next summer, you know, Chelsea can have a different conversation and maybe him staying and, and being part of the squad longer term can be an option. Uh, Simon, was there any word afterwards of, of the incident of, of people in the Spurs end throwing stuff at Tony Rudiger? Were they were they cigarette lighters or something? It was sort of midway through the second half, wasn't it? Yeah, a Tuchel was asked, but he, he didn't know much about it. But I'm, I'm, he may have he may have just been playing, you know, with a straight bat on that one. Um, I'd imagine there will be an investigation because it was pretty blatant. Um, because it wasn't just one cigarette lighter. There's quite a lot of stuff being thrown in his direction. And Paul Tierney did say something to the fourth official. I think stewards were then, more stewards were then put in the away end to try and sort of calm things down. But yeah, I'd, I'd imagine there'll be some sort of trying to identify those responsible because it's a weekend where a few of these things unfortunately happened. Football fans once again letting the side down. But obviously, Tottenham fans, there's there's a history there with Rudiger. Of course, he, he he accused them of making a racial racial chant against him a year or two ago. Um, but yeah, it, it was it was not a not a very savoury uh, incident. But um, but I just realised we didn't have we didn't have the uh, definitive what goal was better conversation Kovacic or, or Ziyech I, I think I know which way Liam is leaning but I, I it's more difficult than I thought it would be in in the sense that you know Kovacic was off the ground backpedalling as he volleyed that in against Liverpool but but Ziyech as it's a tough call because Ziyech's goal actually had a bit of a move to it and then as as Liam described far better than me, there was that sort of graceful, that arc. You sort of had more time to see what he was doing. Maybe sort of the the, the Kovacic one, yeah, took you more by surprise, whereas Ziyech, you could tell that that was what he was trying to do and he pulled it off. So, um, oh, flip of a coin time. But go on, Liam, give, give the vote to Kovacic. <laughs> I think I'm going to go the opposite way from the way you think I am. I, I, and I don't think oh, wow. it's necessarily that difficult. I think it's Kovacic. Because as much as I love that Ziyech goal, I've seen goals like that before. I think technically, you know, what you said about Kovacic's volley, it's insane. He's backpedalling yeah. 
he's it's one thing to be moving to the side and and trying to hit a dropping ball which is hard enough or coming onto it but moving backwards and trying to judge your footwork and your body position and then he kind of hops off the ground in the split second before he actually hits the ball so both of his legs are off the floor when he makes contact because he's moving backwards the only way he can even get it to the goal generate enough power to get it to the goal is if he catches it absolutely flush and he does and yeah it i mean i've never i i it's one of the best volleys i've ever seen and i don't think that's a um an exaggeration and the fact that it came from one of the unlikeliest sources to score from 30 yards um just added to it i think i, I it's the kovacic goal and it's not particularly close for me if one of those two don't win goal of the month though or match of the day which has become a really bit of a nonsense competition now because it'll it's be a liverpool a or an arsenal goal won't it yeah. exactly it's just become a fan vote which means oh yeah because people are so uh it's just how many fans hit the phones or click the button on the internet or whatever they do it these days um i'm sounding very uh old again <laughs> um <laughs> Send it by post, you know, uh, P.O. Box 782. Um, but yeah, if one of those two don't win goal of the month, it's, it's, it's an injustice because, um, yeah, they're both of the top, top quality. Certainly, Chelsea-wise, it'll be between those two at the moment for, for goal of the season come May. Both beauts, let's just say that, I think. Um, so Chelsea now got a 10-point gap on fifth place West Ham, who have a game in hand. Uh, now then, Liam, are we looking upwards rather than downwards? Are we saying top four, it'll be difficult to mess it up from this point? Uh, I, I don't think it's it's guaranteed. Um, you know, the, the table looks a little bit more perilous than it did before Chelsea went on this prolonged dip um, because, you know... Tottenham have a measure. I know they weren't good against Chelsea, but they've got a measure of momentum under Conte now. United seems to seem to be slowly getting themselves together under Rangnick and, and Arsenal are looking much better under Arteta. So the teams are gathering behind Chelsea. I don't think they're I don't think they're done having to worry about what's going on behind them. But it was a really vital result because it feel it's felt like over the last two months all of Chelsea's good performances have come in the cups. Uh, they needed they needed something like this in the league, um, and I think just as much for how it makes them feel emotionally as a group as anything. They can now go away, have this little break, come back refreshed. I know they don't play again in the Premier League for a while, but when they do, um, they can maybe come back into it with a bit of a bit of momentum and a bit of confidence and try and attack what looks to be a you know a more favourable run in than a lot of the other teams have. There's every reason to expect that Chelsea should be able to to finish the Premier League strongly, even being involved in as many cup competitions as they are. But they they just needed to kind of get the last two months out of their system, really. Um, Simon, before we move on from the the Spurs game, are you surprised that, that Antonio Conte wasn't able to to get a team to pose more of a threat to Chelsea over the last month? He he said after the game it will take years for Spurs to be able to compete with Chelsea, which is hilarious, but. Uh, you know, the manager that we knew would have been able to set up a game for a team for a one-off game, one would have thought, and, and they didn't get close to even scoring a goal particularly over the course of the, the three games this month. Yes, I, I I am was surprised by how poor Tottenham were. They were slightly better in the first half of of the league game on Sunday than, 
when it was nil nil and there was still a game compared to the the League Cup tie. But I, I don't think there's much of an excuse for Tottenham when you sort of see how Brighton played against Chelsea. You know, who've got far less resources. And okay, you can sort of obviously make the argument Graham Potter's been in the job longer and 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 they know how he wants to play and all that kind of thing. But but Brighton shows you can get at this Chelsea team on on two occasions, and, and Tottenham have not been able to do it on four. Okay, Conte wasn't in charge for one of those, but yeah, I, I just thought it was a bit of a meek surrender. Really, it's it it just feels like what I asked um, Charlie Eccleshare on last Thursday's show about a psychological problem. I, I think there is a genuine psychological problem with in that Spurs dressing room that they're basically beaten before kickoff when it comes to Chelsea, particularly at Stamford Bridge, where, of course, they've only won one of their last 37 meetings. And who was the manager that lost to Spurs? It was Antonio Conte. So, uh, <laughs> you know, we'll see. No, he's no good. Overrated, that's what I say. <laughs> Uh, right, Chelsea, as Liam said, can forget about the Premier League for a while. They won't play again in the competition until the 19th of February. Next today, we'll round up the rest of the Chelsea news. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Elsewhere in Chelsea news, the women's team finally got back to WSL action on Sunday. They took on Brighton and Hove Albion in Crawley in what was their first league fixture since the 11th of December. It was to be a frustrating return for Chelsea. They were held to a goalless draw despite having 26 shots. Erin Cuthbert hit the bar, but that was as close as they came. Elsewhere, leaders Arsenal snatched a stoppage time equaliser at Man City, which means Chelsea sit third in the table, four points behind the Gunners, but with a game in hand. Uh, just one win in five then, Liam, in all competitions for, for Chelsea now. Most unlike them, albeit, you know, it's been spread over a, a long period, those games. But there comes a point where it has to be a point of concern for Emma Hayes. I think it's a point of concern whenever you don't have your title destiny in your own hands in the WSL. And that's the situation they, they now find themselves in. And when you add to that the fact that they're already out of the Champions League... You know, you're you're staring at the possibility of a season that would be a significant drop off from what Chelsea women have been used to and the standard that they've set for themselves over the last few years. So they this this was a understandable time to develop a little bit of rust, given how much disruption they've had to the schedule. But it's also a bad time. They need to get their best rhythm back very soon and to finish the season 
super strongly if they're gonna if they're gonna overhaul Arsenal in particular in the WSL and um, you know we've we've seen before in this league that the margin for error among the top teams is vanishingly thin and the standards they they generally set in terms of points and and records of games won um, is really formidably high and it, it might be slightly lower this year for all three of them but Chelsea have certainly slipped from from what they've done in the past and they, they just need to try and get back to that level for these last couple of months and, and see where it gets them. Uh, Sam Kerr, by the way, wasn't involved in that game. She's away at the Asian Cup where on Friday she became Australia's leading scorer for the national team, men or women. She hit five in an 18-0 win against Indonesia. Takes her to 54 goals for her country, surpassing the previous record set by Tim Cahill. Uh, also, you'll remember last week Chelsea booked their place in the semi-finals of the League Cup, the Conti Cup as they call it. They'll play Manchester United at the start of next month in that game. Uh, in terms of the men's academy sides, under-23s in action tonight as we record. They take on Manchester City, but it was a chastening weekend for the under-18s. They got thumped 4-0 at Arsenal, meaning they're no longer top of the under-18 Premier League South. Uh, listener, it won't have escaped your attention that it's January. Once this interminable month finally ends, the transfer window will be pulled gently into the lock position slash slam shut. Uh, we'll assess whether Chelsea will do any business during it next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. All quiet on the transfer front in terms of incomings for Chelsea this month. Hasn't been much talk in terms of outgoings either, save for Lewis Baker, who scored a cracking goal in his home debut for Stoke this weekend. Simon, the only potential incoming, it would seem to, to me, the outsider, is maybe Emerson coming back. But even that's gone a bit quiet. Is it? Is it likely that, that nothing gets done in terms of incoming transfers between now and the end of the month? I, I think it is looking increasingly likely because you would... A thought if Chelsea were going to do something, they would have done it by now, given the games they've just gone through. And, and they knew from the start of the month that Chilwell was not going to be available for the rest of the season. History always tells me about a lot of things as far as Chelsea is concerned, never say never, <laughs> because they could always do something like that takes you by surprise. But the impression I've I've got and I've had for quite a while is that it's all about the summer window, saving their money, for that why bring in a an expensive player when you know that Chilwell will come back as as first choice I think Reese James closing in on on fitness it will be one would expect he'll be back probably for the FIFA Club World Cup he he can play on the left Malang Sarr is showing starting to show he can play on the left Kennedy's been brought back on loan 
from his loan at Flamengo as as the backup backup option. Um, Leon Leon have dug their heels in the sand, and, and that's the piece I wrote about a week or two explaining why they're doing that, and and big part of why is fans will go mental at the owners if if they get rid of one of their few performing players. And Emerson is having a good good spell over there. I think he would he would be quite happy to come back to Chelsea, but he'd be quite happy to stay at Leon because he's enjoying it over there. Serginio Dest is a player I think Chelsea have looked at. Um, but even then, it would only be a loan. Barcelona sort of allow that to happen, I'm not so sure. That there is, there is sort of chat, and, and certainly I've been sort of told about this as well from someone out in Spain about Chelsea getting involved in the Usman Dembele situation, um, which is very complex. But bringing in a player like that this month when it's not exactly a, an area Chelsea is short of and they're struggling to fit the players in they've got already um, would be a surprise. So put it this way, this might not match the David Luiz, Fernando Torres, January transfer window of 2011. <laughs> uh, I'm going to ask Liam a question about transfers in a second. But listener, this is breaking news for us, although it won't be for you by the time you hear it. At the Athletic reporting this morning now that two men have been arrested after objects were thrown at Antonio Rudiger from the away end at Stamford Bridge on Sunday. Uh, Liam, outgoings-wise, they're looking the reduced aisle section of the Chelsea supermarket. Can I interest you in a slightly past its best, Ross Barkley? Not hearing anything um, to suggest that that he might be going this month. Uh, I, I suspect Chelsea would welcome an approach from Newcastle. Um, Everybody's ringing Newcastle at the moment, aren't they? <laughs> I, I suspect yeah, I am. so. Uh, <laughs> I'll do the media for you. <laughs> Barkley has probably got more, already got more minutes than many people would have expected, given how deep Chelsea's squad is. Uh, but it's clear that he doesn't have a long-term future. He's way down the depth chart in all of these attacking positions. And you can't really kid yourself into thinking that he's still a guy with potential. He kind of is what he is at this point in time. I actually think he'd probably be quite a good player for someone like Newcastle. I'm not trying to make the deal happen. Um but, you know, I think that could potentially be a good move for him. Anyway, I'll move on. Um, aside from that, there doesn't seem to be anything. You, you, you'd think a lot of Premier League clubs, I mean, we saw this last summer as well. Chelsea benefited from it, you know, selling players like Livramento and Gerhi. A lot of Premier League clubs are looking younger, um, trying to get guys that they can build around for the long term and, and maybe uh, pay them slightly less in terms of wages. And that mitigates against picking up guys who find themselves on the fringes of these uh, of these top squads and also those deals are kind of more for more for the the summer than the than January so it it could be quite a, a quiet January all around apart from apart from the Newcastle trolley dash feels like there's a, a talk sports show with Ross Barkley and Jack Wilshere's name on it as co-hosts in the um, in the not too distant future. Um, right, I've asked the chaps to to pick one player if money was no object that they would bring into Chelsea this month. I want to know who you've gone for and why. Simon, you can go first, please. Right, I'm I'm skipping all the obvious names. <coughs> Harland, Alfonso Davis for the, for the very thing we've just discussed. Very theme, like just on loan though, because because it's Ben Chilwell's <laughs> position. So sorry, Alfonso, you're only here for the rest of the season. 
But yeah, I'll go Alfonso Davis to rip it up at left wing back. There you go, because he's just ridiculous. Yeah, and he certainly did that at Stamford Bridge, didn't he, when uh, when Chelsea played Bayern Munich a couple of seasons ago. How about you, Liam? Who have you gone for? In terms of my personal favourite players to watch in Europe, uh, you know, it's a shame because he's done his ACL, but Federico Chiesa is a lovely, lovely player. It, you know, if che- if there was any way Chelsea could have got the version of him that we saw at the Euros last summer, um, I think that would be brilliant. And it would actually, you know, in spite of Chelsea's all all of Chelsea's current options, I think he would add something they don't have, which is just someone who is just incredibly decisive and and is able to make something from nothing in the final third. Um, but the more realistic option is, you know, slightly less exotic, Mo Salah. Um, best player in the world at the moment. Uh, Chelsea kind of, I know Ziyech has shown more signs of life, but all of Chelsea's other forwards want to play off the left. So there's a natural balance there. And you also weaken Liverpool, uh, which I think is not insignificant if you're Chelsea. But none of this is going to happen, is it? (laughs) No, but I mean, Simon's been sort of mooting this for a couple of years. So maybe this one will happen. My choice was was Declan Rice. And I'm thinking for this on a a couple of fronts. One, he's an absolutely brilliant player. He'd do really well in in Chelsea's team. Two, it would just be nice for, for Mason, wouldn't it, to have his best mate there. And three, with my Chelsea TV hat on, just imagine the kind of content that the club <laughs> could get out of having Declan Rice and Mason Mount on the books at the same time. There'd be an um, in-house sitcom with, oh, with and it would Rice, be incredible, Mount it? and Ben Chilwell. <laughs> and like Rice Mount, is I don't know, maybe that could be the name of the house that they live in or something. Uh, we're, we're workshopping. There's, there's plenty more to do on that. Don't, don't worry, listener. We can get that deal over the line in the summer and then and then worry about that. Uh, we better move on quickly. Simon, tell us what you've been working on, please, for Athletic subscribers to enjoy. Um, so I was busy on soccer base with my calculator <laughs> doing, a, doing a fascinating, uh, I think it's fascinating, basically proving Thomas Tuchel's point about why Chelsea have... have uh, are so tired. Um, I get why people, people, uh, whether it be pundits or other fans, rival fans, or whatever, sort of say, "Oh, it's just an excuse." Chelsea got a big squad, all this kind of stuff. But when you actually look at sort of the amount of games they've had to play in the last since the last international break, when the squad's been at its weakest in terms of injuries, COVID, etc., it shows that they've played or they've had a significant less break than everyone else. Um, I won't read out the numbers because people will switch off in their droves, but um, it's worth the read just to sort of show that Tuchel has a point and that, as we saw in the Tottenham game, when you do have the ability to give your players a couple of days off, which Tuchel hasn't had for the last two months, you're rewarded um, and that's why I think Chelsea will really benefit more than most from the winter break. And I include the FIFA Club World Cup in that because I think that will be mentally, hopefully with the trophy as well, but mentally that week away as a group, away from the the spotlight, the the dreary London in, in the winter, um, it will, it, I think it will just give everyone a chance to refresh a bit of summer training, you know, sunny training, warm weather training. I'll get it right in a minute, and um, and perhaps a chance to sort of just galvanise them before the the madness of the last two months when they're going to be fighting for trophies galore. 
So jealous. Just, just the mention of Sun is amazing. Um, Lucy pointing out, by the way, just to back up Simon's point, that, that Chelsea in the match day programme on Sunday actually put the stat of how many more games they've played than everybody else uh, in bold type underlined as well games played in all competitions since the November international break and then the list of which Chelsea were at the top of they really want you to get the point that they have played a lot of football which is fair enough because they definitely have I didn't even see that that could have saved me a lot of time (laughs) (laughs) they'll pay me for not reading the match day programme isn't it it is mad though I mean it's it's this 61 day period Chelsea 18 games Burnley 7 um, that's the biggest disparity. Liam, you're back at it these days. What are you going to be writing about this week, please? So I'm working on a piece on Christian Pulisic, uh, notable for his non-involvement uh, against Tottenham, uh, just kind of looking at his broader situation at Chelsea, but also from a USMNT perspective. Um, you know, they've got some big games coming up and of course it's a World Cup year. So yeah, looking to to kind of bring all of that in, and I've been working with our uh, we've been working with our data guys as well to try and get some nice visualizations for some of the some of the underlying numbers of what's been another difficult season for him. Lovely, looking forward to reading that. Athletic.com slash ChelseaPod is the place to go to sign up if you aren't currently a subscriber. Uh, we're back on Thursday, well me and Lucy are. We'll be joined by Sam Parkin and Dominic Fifield. No game to preview, but we'll have plenty to talk about. There's women's action in the week and it's the Youth Cup this weekend too. Until then, from all of us here, it's bye for now. The Athletic.